Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 168 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined from Florida by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college football fans, and maybe a few volleyball fans, as it turns out. (laughs) Yeah, well, we're having a lot more success there than we are in football in the Nebraska world, so I don't blame you. That is true. Yes, Uh, and I am coming to you from uh, Michigan. Uh, I am home for the holidays a little earlier this year because of some uh, work situations, so we'll only get uh, a bit of time after Christmas for me to stick around, which is a bit of a bummer because usually you and I like to stick together until New Year's Day, right, and watch the New Year's Six Bowls and things like that. Um, we're exactly. Have to change that up this year. But that's that's it's all for a good cause for you, so it's uh, it's good stuff. Yes. Uh, so yes, we are a father-son duo here to talk about college football by college football fans for college football fans. And today we'll be talking about uh, a little bit of news with the Nebraska Cornhuskers, with the transfer portal and the early signing day coming up next week, as well as our Nebraska volleyball team that has now made it to the finals in the NCAA tournament. And of course, uh, the major bowl games and the college football playoff semifinal games will be given our official predictions here for what's to come in the wider world of college football. Sounds good. And there's so many topics because it's just such a crazy time of year, but we've got, uh, we've got time to cover those subjects when we, when we don't have any, uh, so much uh, you know, time-sensitive uh, items to discuss. Precisely. So to fit with that, we're going to go ahead and crack open our beverages. Since I am in Michigan, mm-hmm. I had to get uh, some Labatt Blue, which is a Canadian Pilsner beer that I quite like. Yes, awesome. I'm glad you're drinking something other than that Japanese Sapporo crap. <laughs> crap, you haven't even tried it. Uh, yeah, I have. Okay. I'll get Japan with you. Uh, but And it's not crap. It's a good uh, I am. Uh, I'm choosing a, a Yingling since I'm down here in Florida, and Yingling is a very popular beer. Uh, it's one that uh, your both your mom and I enjoy, so I'm going to have a little beverage of that. So All right. here we go, and cheers to you. Cheers. <laughs> so we're going to kick things off here with some uh, Nebraska football-related news. Um, there's been uh, kind of a whirlwind of stuff going on in terms of the uh, transfer portal. You know, everybody is kind of on QB watch, right? Because we know that that's the area where we need the most help for next year. Um and so there's been lots of, you know, rumors and, you know, visitations and this and that flying around. We know that, you know, um, Matt Rule is trying to exert the NIL money he has available to try to get a good transfer to come in. Um, as part of that, it was announced that uh, Jeff Sims uh, will be transferring out of the program, which, you know, is a bummer, you know, from the perspective of that, you know, we weren't able to make it work with him here at Nebraska. But at the same time, he clearly carried a lot of his same issues from last year into this year. So I'm not, you know, overly uh, upset about him leaving uh, as long as we, you know, actually nail one of these transfers that we're trying to get now. Yes, exactly. But the big one, of course, is that Dylan Riala, who is, you know, related to one of our coaches on our assistant staff and who we went after quite aggressively before the season started, he had committed to a different school. I want to say it was Georgia, right? Well, he was committed to Ohio State and then Georgia, right? Right. 
Right. Yeah. But now we're kind of going after him again, and he's, uh, you know, considering Nebraska again, it seems like. Um, but we're kind of, you know, giving some things up by pursuing that, you know, kind of going for the stars once again. And we failed before, so there's no guarantee that we're going to get it this time. Exactly. Um, so here's the thing. Um, you know, uh, I mean, I kind of feel for the coaching staff because this was a very difficult situation that they found themselves in. One that was incredibly uh, desirable, but one that uh, almost couldn't go the way you would want it to go. Right. So they had been, I mean, I think very admirably uh, aggressive at identifying the best quarterbacks in the portal since the final game, since the Iowa game was over. Um, and they had done a very good job of positioning Nebraska to at least get some consideration from some of those top quarterbacks in the portal, specifically this McCord fella from Ohio State, the starting quarterback for Ohio State, as well as one of his teammates who was also a highly regarded. So McCord was a five-star quarterback when he was coming out of high school. And then uh, the wide receiver is also a very highly regarded player, a four or maybe even five-star in some uh, recruiting services. So you had some two incredibly talented players who were both portaling for a final year. Uh, and they're basically going out and looking at the marketplace, right? And uh, and it looked like we had positioned ourselves very well to to enjoy and benefit from them. However, <laughs> uh, as bad luck would have it, the rumor about Dylan Riella's uh, um, um, instability as a Georgia commit happened to come out at just the wrong time to influence McCord and his teammate Fleming, I believe is his name. Uh, wide receiver, and uh, after having what appeared to be a very good visit to Nebraska, they very quickly r- recognized that because Dylan was in the picture now, they didn't want any part of the possibility. So, so I, I'm not going to say that McCord was scared of the competition or anything. Like, that's not the point. But if you're in his situation and, and you're a, you're going for your final year, this is your last year of eligibility. You don't want anything to basically get it get in your way right and uh up until the dylan conversation i think that that mccord was very confident that he could come into nebraska and be the man but now you all of a sudden get this hyperbolic excitement for uh uh, an incoming freshman then mccord is uh you know one half of, of bad football away from being replaced uh temporarily by a dylan riala who then ends up you know um lighting the place on fire and doing great. And then now you've lost your chance to demonstrate your capabilities to the NFL. So why would you choose Nebraska? Right. I mean, ultimately that's what it comes down to. I don't think it was an issue of, of, you know, what our NIL operation was doing or any of those kinds of things. I think it was purely a circumstantial set of things that came, came into play. And once they became public knowledge, it doesn't. It didn't matter that Dylan still hasn't committed to us. It was enough for McCord to say, "See you later. I'm moving down the road." Right? right, and that's that's disappointing. You would have hoped that he would have had the confidence to say, "Listen, I get it. No, even if I went any school I go to, they're going to have some freshmen coming in on their in their recruiting class too. But I'm not going to worry about them. I've got one year left. I've got the commitment of the coaching staff that says I'm going to be their man." 
one year transitional person and I'm going to lead the, the, you know, the reemergence of Nebraska as a credible football team again. Uh, and I'll go down in history. It'd be right. It's going to be a great relationship. Right. But then, uh, this Dylan Riola, who everybody's been talking about because the guy's been in and out of the news for a year and a half. Right. So, right. I, I, I understand McCord, why McCord did what he did. Yes, I think, yeah, it's totally understandable there. And from our perspective, you know, on the one hand, because he's on his final year, right, McCord could only give you one year of, uh, you know, good football. But on the other hand, he's a proven asset, right? You know, he's done well at Ohio State and at his previous positions, whereas Dylan Riola, while extremely talented, clearly, you don't know how is he going to handle the transition from high school to college, you know, and as you've brought up before, right, we've had multiple years now of like starting with a freshman quarterback and continuing with them through their senior year. And it hasn't necessarily worked out for us. Um, you know, so in an ideal world, yeah, you would have had McCord to kind of be the stable asset for a year while Dylan Riola maybe red shirts or, you know, uh, figures things out for himself, you know, gets himself bulked up for college football. Um, but unfortunately we're in a situation where it seems like, these quarterbacks are less and less willing to, you know, have any competition for that starting job, right? We saw that earlier this year where Casey Thompson uh, transferred away from Nebraska, right? Even though he was our starting quarterback in the last year of Scott Frost. Um, but we had Jeff Sims coming in and our other guys, and he was like, I, you know, I'm coming off of a surgery. I don't know what my situation's going to be. So I'm just not going to. I'm going to go somewhere where I think I can start more immediately. You know, that's the current trend, I would say. Right. Well, especially among transfers, right? If you're going to transfer and, and effectively be using your last year of eligibility, you you don't want anything that is potentially going to be a roadblock to your playing time, right? Because if, you, if you're transferring with the idea that I want to be able to put, you know, performance on tape or a potential, uh, you know, professional career, okay, uh, then you don't want anything to get in the way. Or now, now with NIL, there's that other layer. I, I want to maximize whatever NIL money I can make in this final year. This is my last year of eligibility to take advantage of this name, image, and likeness stuff. So you know they're not gonna they're not gonna be writing that contract to me next year, no matter what. Right? It's over. So I need to seize on that moment. Now, um, now here's the other element of that too, Alex, is that um, um, our current uh, recruit in the 2024 class who is a quarterback who's from the state of Nebraska and who uh, we uh, recruited uh, kind of as a second choice to Dylan from our earlier efforts in recruiting when Dylan didn't choose us and went to Georgia. And then we were able to convince um, uh, line uh, 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 Daniel Kaline to come uh, to Nebraska, he actually was committed to Missouri and switched his commit to, commitment to Nebraska. Uh, but now at, at the 11th hour, Dylan Riella shows back up again, right? And is into the mix. So now uh, Danielle has said, hey, I, I need to look at my options too. So now he has uh, scheduled a visit uh, this weekend to Michigan State. So we run the risk of losing him to Michigan State because we kind of uh, – we're in on him, and then, uh, you know, last minute we're going to bring in this highly regarded player over the top of him, and I don't think he's very pleased. Plus, Dan Daniel was also very instrumental 
in in uh, being a lead recruiter for us, right? A peer recruiting. He was able to secure the, the the commitments of a number of players to Nebraska because they wanted to play with with Daniel. So this has a uh, lots of layers, right? The, a, a huge ramification that permeates all kinds of things. Somehow, um, I hope when the dust settles, we don't end up losing three or four players out of our current recruiting class, plus the opportunity to, to get McCord, all because we went after Dylan. And then the chance that he would still change his mind again and go back to Georgia is certainly a possibility. Right. Well, I would hope if I was Daniels, you know, it makes total sense from his point of view to be talking with somebody else. But I hope that he doesn't pull the trigger on that until he hears, you know, for certain that Dylan is, uh, you know, signing up. Uh, because, you know, from his perspective, you probably wouldn't necessarily want to go to a Michigan State where he might have to fight for the QB job a little bit more uh, versus staying with Nebraska, uh, who if we don't get Dylan, he's definitely, you know, kind of like a, a real contender to be the top guy, right? Because our current crop right. of quarterbacks is uh, very mediocre, as we've seen. Right. Well, and, and, if, and if you get... If you get Dylan, Dylan, and Daniel stays, then that might increase the, the probability that uh, Chuba Purdy leaves, because he's graduating in spring, and would have the opportunity to leave as a graduate transfer and portal out, even though he portaled here to Nebraska. So, so I mean, <laughs> the 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 uh, musical chairs of this are I'm I'm sure fascinating and probably making a lot of money for recruiting services and, you know, organizations like that. Um, but it's, it's just heart wrenching for fans who, you know, grew up with the stability of college sports. This is not what we had hoped for. Right. It's a definitely a, a brave new world that we're not ready for. Um, we did get uh, some pieces of good news this week, which included that uh, Alex Ruggerol, a three-star offensive tackle from Las Vegas, um, uh, committed to Nebraska. And we also got some news about certain seniors that have decided to remain with the program into next year. Yes. Um, so there's some good news on that front. And those are huge commitments. I mean, that's, that's a starting right tackle who had his best year by far this past season. Um, and, uh, and a starting defensive back slash linebacker and Gifford, who also was integral to our defense. And then we also got John, um, uh, Bullocks just committed to coming back for his last year. So basically almost all the, the key players that had a decision to make about whether they were going to continue their career, if they didn't already have an injury issue that might have had a big impact on their, uh, their decision, have made the decision to come back. And that speaks to the culture that Coach Rule is creating there. And even after all of this, if we end up with Dylan, but we lose a couple of players, and uh, and we didn't we didn't hit the home run with uh, with uh, uh, McCord, but if we have Dylan Riala, he's the kind of athlete and player that could be transformative for our football program. Because I guarantee you, if we get him in the fold, then our ability to recruit wide receivers, both out of the portal and um, in the next couple of years, is going to go up significantly. Right, because, yeah, you brought up that Daniels brought some players with him, and I don't know if Dylan's right. network is as wide, but certainly he would attract some talent, you would think. 
Right. Well, no, yeah, I, I think he did all his peer recruiting to Georgia. <laughs> so, and, and, and they're not leaving to follow him to Nebraska. You know what I mean? That's not going to happen. So uh, it's just based on where the two programs are right now. So I don't think Dylan has the pull to bring anybody with him, but, but I'm speaking probably more about the 2025 class. Right. And the portal class of this year. Right. Yes. So yes. And our next podcast, obviously will be past the early signing day on the 20th of December. And so we'll see where this all plays out. You know, if Matt Rule's gamble works or if it kind of blows up in our face, we'll see. Right. But I, I love that he's swinging for the fence, bottom line. Right. Because, I mean, we know we need a really good quarterback, you know. Uh, we need we need somebody quick. We need somebody through the transfer portal. So I understand why he's doing it. Um, yep. I agree. Now, transitioning to the world of Nebraska volleyball, uh, obviously we talked – uh, last podcast about where they were at in terms of the tournament and how they had performed up to that point. So uh, the upcoming game after last podcast was Georgia Tech, which Nebraska managed to defeat in a 3-0 sweep. And then they had to play against Arkansas, uh, who upset their opponent to make it to that uh, uh, Elite Eight game. And uh, we beat them 3-1. to one. Uh, Their speed definitely gave us some problems. We dropped that set and kind of had a close set following that. But uh, we managed to beat them. And then just last night against Pittsburgh in the semifinals, uh, Nebraska put on a great performance and won 3-0 with a particularly dominant uh, third set. We had a ton of blocks, both in the Arkansas game and in the Pitt game. Uh, so we seem to be doing what John Cook was hoping and that the girls are not being rattled by the you know, pressure of being in the NCAA tournament and are playing better as they're going along. And so now we have the upcoming match this Sunday against Texas, who beat Wisconsin, our rival. And uh, it's looking exciting. Could this team, mostly composed of freshmen you know, and no seniors, could they pull off this miraculous run in the year where we also had the... Uh, the stadium full of people watching Nebraska volleyball. I said that that would make a great story early on in this season, and it's looking like it might actually happen. Yeah, well, I, I think that's a uh, that great story. It's already been written, and it's and it's going to be celebrated regardless uh, uh, of whether they win this final match against Texas or not. It is uh, a great surprise to me that Texas was able to beat. Um, Wisconsin going into this uh, final four, I would have given Wisconsin the highest chance of advancing to the finals of the four teams. I was pleasantly surprised by how well uh, Nebraska played against Pitt. Um, they, uh, they just gritted it out early in the first set of the match where both teams were, were uh, maybe struggling a little bit to find their rhythm. And it was just kind of a, a survival of the fittest kind of thing uh, in that first set. Uh, neither team hit very well, but our our block really showed up. We had eight blocks in that first set, and so uh, our block was definitely the difference in that first set. And then, uh, uh, as the set or as the match went on, uh, you know, um, uh, Pitt improved, and their performance uh, offensively got better. And defensively, you know, both teams were were doing some great things defensively. And, uh, but then, uh, in the, in the third set, we started to separate ourselves because, uh, they were struggling to be able to avoid Lexi Rodriguez and the passing, 
uh, department. So they were trying to serve to other people, but Lexi was just taking, <laughs> taking the ball and putting it right on uh, Bergen's head. And then, uh, giving us a good opportunity to have success on offense. And so we ended up hitting over 400 uh, hitting percentage uh, for that third set and and pretty much uh, went away with the win. Right. Well, it should be mentioned that you were actually in person at this. Uh, yes. At the game. I can share a little bit. It was, it was, it was a great day. Uh, we uh, got down there, you know, mid afternoon, uh, your mom and I, and just, place was swarming with Husker fans. We went to the Husker huddle, the, the, the bar that it was uh, hosted at. They had no idea how many people were coming. <laughs> uh, they were uh, under or overwhelmed by uh, just the sheer volume of people. And uh, there were people standing outside and they couldn't get in because uh, I guess it was, they were limiting the capacity and, uh, and there was Husker chance and, red everywhere and it was a blast and we literally stood in line for a good 35 minutes to get our first beer so we 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 ordered five beers on the first round (laughs) (laughs) just because we knew it would take a while to get back because it was like okay i don't want to get in this line again so we got the bucket of beer uh but uh but uh it's harpoons uh crab check i think was the name of the place uh, had a good time, uh, talked with a number of nice people, some folks who were friends of one of the players. And so we got to know them a little bit. Uh, we ended up talking with the, the official photographer of 1890, the uh, NIL Collective. Got a great insight from him. And then, uh, and then we went over to the stadium in time to watch the arrival of both Pitt and Nebraska into the stadium. And it was almost sad. Uh, the Pitt bus showed up. Uh, for the blue carpet and both sides were already lined up with 90% Nebraska fans. And, uh, so they gate, they made room for the pit band, uh, the, the, you know, uh, to play as the players came off the bus and there were a few spattering of pit fans to welcome their team. Even Nebraska fans were generally either just didn't say anything or pleasant applause or wasn't booing or anything. Uh, but then after their buses left, then um, the, uh, the Husker buses showed up and there were literally thousands of people lining this area. And uh, it was rock stars arriving, man. It was, it was so cool. I've got it on video. It was really neat. Uh, ended up being right next to Allie Batenhorst's family. And so we chatted with them, uh, talked with her sister who plays at SMU for volleyball. And so I got some really good insight uh, from her. And... Um, um, just a, a, like, like a lot of fun. Um, and then we did a little bit of the pregame stuff. There was a whole event going on. You know, uh, I think you may remember when we went to the college football playoff game uh, down in New Orleans, you know, there was the whole uh, uh, events area, fun games area, right? Right. They had a similar type of uh, setup for this. It was very, very well done by Tampa Bay uh, hosting this event. Just really cool. And the arena was really nice. Uh, so then once we decided to go in, we were able to walk in, find our seats really easily. It was easy in and out. We had uh, Our seats were high, of course, because we didn't pay for the crazy money. Here's the great thing for uh, volleyball. On the day of the game uh, and the day before the game, I mean, I would say the day before the game, um, it was a sellout, and the prices were probably five to $600 for a ticket uh, uh, in the lower levels. 
and the absolute best ticket price you could get was 300 or $400 for the nosebleed seats. And by the next day, it was uh, over a thousand. <laughs> so, so it was crazy, right? It was just crazy. Uh, the prices, uh, for the tickets. So we were glad we had gotten them way earlier and, um, um, it was just a, a good energetic environment. And once we got into our seats, it was obvious that well over half the crowd, even though there were still four teams, there was Nebraska. I mean, it was Nebraska fans everywhere. So yeah. very excited to see that. Yes. Well, and I watched the game, uh, on the TV here. Um, and yeah, the, the camera, I don't know if it was the particular angle that they chose or whatever, but yeah, it was mostly red on the other side, you could see. Um, and that right. stadium definitely got rocking there in that third set when we started to go on that streak where we were just getting points after points, got multiple aces right. on them. I want to ask how that was like, because that seemed like that would have been a lot of fun. It was it was awesome. Yeah, uh, uh, Merritt Beeson, who frankly, from a hitting percentage standpoint, probably had one of her worst games. And I think it's the first time she was held to less than double-digit kills in, you know, uh, half the season, maybe. I mean, uh, she she always gets to 10 kills, and she didn't this time. Um, so for on a night when she did not do well uh, in the kills department, she did wonderful as a blocker, and she was amazing. She had four, four aces from the service line, and three in a row, uh, where she yo-yoed a, a player from right. Pittsburgh. And just kind of was, she made it uh, look easy. Uh, and yes, the crowd was absolutely going nuts. Because at that point, it was like, okay, we're winning, right? Let's, no way we're, we're, we're going to lose after this, right? So yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It was well, a lot of fun. I'm glad you had fun. It. Yeah. And uh, the only downside is that it's a hockey arena, right? Mm. So uh, the uh, place was kind of chilly. And, <laughs> and so your mom... Your mom uh, needed to get up and walk around like between sets. And certainly after the first match was over, she needed to go walk around to keep herself warm. <laughs> she wished she had had a jacket, you know, to put on. Well, um, you, you'll be going back for the finals. And now yes. you know to bring some jackets. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it's exciting. And, and the second game, not what I expected. Wisconsin um, uh, really just kind of broke down a little bit as the, as the match progressed. And they're passing and stuff, and uh, they did a great job of locking in. And basically, they were camping out on the spots where um, um, Sarah Franklin loves to hit the ball, and she still got some kills. But they dug up an awful lot of very powerful attacks from Wisconsin. Texas really did play extremely well in this match. Right. So to talk about that a bit more, um, yes, we won 3-0 against Pittsburgh, and then. Uh, Texas won 3-1 against Wisconsin. Uh, the first two sets were competitive, went back and forth both ways, so it was 1-1. One one. And then starting in the third set, Wisconsin started to really get their serving game going and were able to... You mean you, you mean uh, Texas? Yeah, I'm sorry. Texas was really able to get that serving game going, was able to put up a big lead on Wisconsin, and then they basically did the same thing in the fourth set. Um, so they were able to wrap it up in a 3-1. Um and like you said, yeah, they definitely took advantage of uh, rotations to capitalize on their advantages when they had them, when uh, Wisconsin's best players were out, um, and really showed off some great athleticism. Like you said, some great digs by some of their players. Um, they are, of course, the defending national champions, so they're returning to try to 
uh, win another title. Um, looking at the record, I believe they have four losses, and three of them came early in the season. So they had some early struggles, and then they lost one late in their season. Um, but right. clearly, like Nebraska, uh, they've been improving as they've been going throughout this uh, tournament. Uh, so it'll be an exciting finals match. It is. It's going to be very exciting. And can if Texas can perform like they did against Wisconsin, if they can put it, put together another match like they did uh, with that confidence boost, uh, they're going to be a very difficult out for Nebraska because they're they have way more offensive firepower than we do. But I think we are a more balanced team, uh, and our defense, of course, is 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 excellent. And I don't know. I don't know this for a fact, but I'm confident that our passing and serve-receive game will be better uh, than what what Wisconsin was able to demonstrate. And I, I I really feel like Texas played well, but I also feel like Wisconsin played poorly. And 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 I think you know in a in an honest moment they'll absolutely agree with that. You know that was not the Wisconsin team that was playing uh, in the Fieldhouse when they played us, and they were digging everything, digging dimes, and just kicking butt in every aspect of the game. They had no weakness when they played us in Madison. Right. right? So that's our only loss. Um, and so when you, if you have a team that catches fire like that, sometimes it's just really tough to, to beat them, but, but defense travels. And that's why I feel like we still have a pretty good right. chance. So yes, we, we personally, even though obviously uh, you hate Texas, uh, we were rooting for Texas because Wisconsin has been the bane of Nebraska's existence in the volleyball world. And uh, both teams, even though their game went to four sets, um, you know, like we mentioned, Texas was kind of able to dominate the final two. So pretty evened out in terms of like uh, tiredness of both teams. I think they'll both recover and be oh, yeah. ready for Sunday. Um, so the question is, uh, to give a prediction, uh, what do you think the set count is going to be and who do you think is going to win? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that Nebraska wins three to one. There you go. Um, so the, here's the thing. Uh, we, they actually have more time this, this, in this setup, this schedule than they've ever had before because they moved the finals, uh, to Sunday. So there's an extra day in there. So, you know, uh, usually they would have played on a Thursday and then the finals would have been on a Saturday. So there would only be one one day in between. Now they have two days. So so both teams have more time to prepare for this finals match. Right. They're going to they're going to have multiple practices between now and then a lot more time for the coaches to dive in and strategize and put together, you know, a game plan to defend the other team. So I think that's going to be interesting to watch and is going to to be quite fascinating and the storylines for this matchup because most people thought it was going to be wisconsin i don't think very many people thought this would ultimately be the matchup but obviously the long-standing rivalry between texas and nebraska is always there but then you have players that have transferred from one school to the other you have coaches that used to be married to each other that are on opposite <laughs> sides of this thing now uh and uh very uh uh, so very uh, contentious in so many levels and so many ways. So this is going to be fascinating. The fan bases don't like each other. Um, and, uh, and we're really young and they have a bunch of mature fifth year people uh, that are just outstanding. Uh, so it's, uh, it's going to be a fascinating, um, you know, uh, thing to observe. Uh, so, but I'm going to pick the Cornhuskers to win 
this. I think we're capable of doing that. If, with our youth, it's always a flip of the coin, so I'm always nervous about it. Uh, what, what, which one of our teams is going to show up, and are we going to be able to pass well enough to to keep them from putting all this service pressure on us? They're a better serving team than we are. We are an average serving team. They are an exceptional serving team, um, and uh, so we're going to have to manage that as best we possibly can. And then I just hope our team defense and our offense is is enough to get over the finish line. I have a feeling it's going to go five. I think it's going to go five, and it's going to it's literally going to be a coin flip as to who ends up winning it. Uh, but I think that that fifth set won't necessarily be close. Uh, somebody's going to take an early lead and then just run away with it. Okay. So I'm going to say it's going to go in five, but Nebraska's going to win it, and it's going to be like uh, fifteen to eleven. Okay, I like it. Um, two final points. Uh, one is that uh, John Cook was voted as the coach of the year in the volleyball world. Apparently, it's his third time winning that particular award. And it's particularly impressive that he was able to go this far with so many young players on his team this year. Um, and similarly, I remember on the last podcast, I mentioned that, you know, even if we made the semifinals right with this young team, we'd have to consider that a, a victory. And, of course, we made it past the semifinals into the finals. So this is already beyond uh, those expectations. So, you know, if we end up losing to this Texas team that won the national championship last year, you know, I think Nebraska fans can't be too upset. This is already an exceptional year uh, for this young team. But, of course, we want them to win. And if they were able to pull it out, there'll be celebrations in Lincoln like haven't been seen in some time. That's right. Well, and there'll be a hell of a party in Tampa, too. (laughs) <laughs> on Sunday afternoon. And you'll be there right yeah. in the middle of it. And I'll be there. You betcha. <laughs> um, so, well, we should, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how many Texas fans fly down now because we didn't sense that there was a huge Texas president presence uh, on, uh, yes, last night. But uh, I have a feeling now that they made it to the finals, you're going to see the number of Texas fans quadruple between now and, and Sunday afternoon. Right, because to your point, it was expected that they would lose to Wisconsin. I think so. And I think even their fan base was like, they were feeling like they were already on, you know, uh, borrowed money there, you know. And uh, so, um, uh, and their college football team is in the playoffs, right? So if you're going to make a, a major trip as a sports fan for Texas, are you and you can't do both, which one are you choosing? Are you choosing the semifinal game with Texas football or are you choosing the semifinal game for the volleyball team? Yes. Well, and since Nebraska football did not make it to a bowl game this year, I'm thankful that the volleyball team made it far in the playoffs. So we still have some wintertime uh, Husker sports to look forward to. <laughs> exactly. All exactly. Right. Uh, so now switching to the national side of college football, um, Jaden Daniels from LSU, their quarterback, uh, won the Heisman. Wasn't particularly surprising. He was the favorite in pretty much everyone's estimations, and he won it. So congratulations to him. He had some insane stats, both passing and running the ball this year. Um, do you have any comments on the Heisman race for this year? You know, I, I I have become less and less of an aficionado of the Heisman Trophy. I, uh, Frankly, ever since the, the debacle that was the Indomitian Sioux snuff, um, and combined with the Tommy Frazier snuff of 1995 as a Husker fan, you know, the, the credibility of that award award has diminished so much in my mind. I really don't care that much. And it's become a, a bogus uh, quarterback hype 
award and it's not even the best player in college football anymore. Um, so um, for those reasons, no, I don't care that much. And uh, I mean that the, 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 the gentleman who won it uh, had a great year, obviously had put to put up some crazy stats and showed himself to be very multidimensional, which is very popular today, both in the NFL as well as college. So I get why there is all this, you know, focus and excitement around him. It is what it is. I'm just, I'm actually glad it wasn't some of the other people that were on the list just because those schools have had so many, you know, Heisman uh, trophy uh, winners in the past, although Washington, not so much, but Ohio state has had Heisman winners and um, you know, things like that. So I don't know. That, that's, that's kind of my feeling. That's so hum. Uh, it, it doesn't even reflect the best player in college football anymore. Well, to your point that you raised on the last podcast, because of the Indomitian Sioux debacle and the outrage from the general public about that, the defensive players have won it in the past decade, you know, since he, uh, oh. since he was nominated. So I think it has involved some changes there. And I think it's more interesting when there's a real competition for the award and there's some drama. In this case, yeah. Jaden Daniels seemed to be far and out the winner's beforehand so there wasn't a lot to excite people about yeah the, this heisman watch has become a thing where basically you cannot have a bad game right like you can have a great year right and even go undefeated but if you have a game where you statistically are off but but even if your teammates you know rally around that and still win the game uh your bad stats will shove you down the list right right whereas uh uh, and you need to have a Heisman moment, so to speak. You either have to have a game that's just a eye-popping stat game, or you need to have a few key plays that get played over and over and over and over again to build your your awareness. Your it's like a political candidate, you know, uh, <laughs> where your positive Q rating or whatever. So, um, you know, that's the part that uh, is wears on me. You know, I, I uh, is it a stat award or is it the most valuable player? Because, again, T Tommy Frazier was never going to have the stats, but he, there was no one in college football who was doing more for his team than Tommy was for us. So. Right. All right. And then last thing for today is that we're going to give some predictions for the bowl games and go over the big matchups along with, of course, the semifinals for the college football playoff. Um, so one of the interesting matchups and in kind of the, the lesser bowls, you know, the more mid-tier bowls is, uh, Louisiana versus USC in the holiday bowl. Um, Louisiana obviously coming off of their disappointing performance against FSU. Um, but a, they were stopped by FSU's elite defense and USC definitely does not have that same elite defense and B. Wait a minute. Wait a, wait a minute. Uh, Louisiana, who I'm are sorry, you talking about? Louisville. Louisville, that's what I meant. Louisville, yes, yes. Thank you. Okay, there we go. All right, I, I, now I got it. <laughs> yes, Louisville. So they've got to go up against USC's defense, which isn't as good. And we already know that Caleb Williams, uh, which is a trend we'll be talking about a lot during these discussions, uh, will be sitting out of the bowl game. Um, he will not be playing, so they will be missing their best weapon on offense. Uh, so this kind of gets into this weird situation with a lot of these games where. You know, it seems like one team should be the clear favorite, but if they have a lot of their key players sitting out, then it becomes more of a coin toss, right? And I think this is one of those right. situations. 
Okay. So that's the thing is that we're doing this almost way too early because, you know, there's going to be some other players <laughs> that likely announce after we record, get finished recording this podcast, that'll have a huge impact. And honestly, I, I don't have those lists in front of me. So that, that, that puts me at an, at an additional disadvantage in terms of assessing who's really going to be the most talented team. And then who wants to be there, right? Like when, when you lose your, your, uh, your leader, your quarterback. I mean, how how demotivating is that for almost every other player on that team? Right. Yeah. Well, and you would say, even though Louisville is probably disappointed that they lost the ACC championship game, they're still having a, a better season than they've had in a while. So I think they definitely are happier to be there than USC. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, the, the question is, was Louisville's record built on the on the backs of a, a fairly easy schedule or not. You know what I mean? Like uh, they put up some gaudy numbers and just did a phenomenal job. But was that because maybe they, uh, you know, caught lucky breaks through the, the schedule uh, gods. And when the good teams played them, maybe they had some players injured, you know, who didn't play those kinds of things can often help a team have a spectacular record. Um, even though they might only be a modestly good team. Right. Right. Um, another one of those games that's in a similar sort of situation is uh, Clemson versus Kentucky. Uh, that's the Gator Bowl this year. Uh, so both of them, you know, a little bit of a disappointment, right? Kentucky, I think, had a, a better record earlier on in the season, but then kind of lost some games later. And then Clemson obviously is kind of still in this slump period that they've been in for a couple of years under Dabo Sweeney. So what are your thoughts on that game? You know, if I if I had to pick, I'm, I'm I would probably be leaning towards Kentucky. A uh, couple of reasons for that is that their coach just got a you know a uh, vote of confidence by having a, uh, a new contract, uh, and um, you know they they had some they did have a couple of losses late, but they also had some good wins late, and so um, I uh, I believe that they will you know, be there motivated, ready to play and, and really wanting to, you know, be successful where, like you said, I think Clemson is still in that maybe feeling sorry for themselves mode and frustrated because they have witnessed this slight decline in their effectiveness and their success. And so I don't know how motivated Clemson's going to be uh, for this game. So I would pick Kentucky just based on, where I think the two teams, you know, culture and psyche are at. Yeah, you may very well be right on that. Um, I'm thinking I might lean towards uh, Clemson. You know, I think that uh, they may be able to get it done for them. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go with them. Uh, on the other hand, I, I think I'm going to lean towards Louisville in that uh, in that one we were talking about earlier with USC. I think they're happier to be yeah. there for sure. Well. I really don't know anything about the backup quarterback at USC. And yeah. uh, I'm sure he's talented. I mean, you know, that they have an incredible roster. But the fact is that USC was out shopping for portal quarterbacks, right? They were going after some of the same guys we, we are in the portal. So I, I, that tells me they, they must not think the world of this guy. So I'm going to go with Louisville also. And then uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, the Sun Bowl uh, is uh, Oregon State versus Notre Dame. 
Uh, obviously, Oregon State, right? Once again, they're definitely one of those ones that are happy to be there because uh, they had a, a good season this year uh, by their usual standards. Uh, not not quite so much for Notre Dame, um, but you know, I'm not sure that they had like serious national championship aspirations this year either, right? In terms of their level, um, so you know, I would normally lead towards Notre Dame just because they w- certainly have more talent probably than Oregon State does on the field. Uh, but then we've got the fact that Oregon State's probably happier to be there. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that Oregon State wins that one. And where is this game being played? What's the bowl? The Sun Sun Bowl. Sun Bowl, which is in El Paso, Texas. You know, I, I'm I'm going to pick Notre Dame. I'll I'll go the opposite. And and here's why. Keep in mind that uh, Oregon State's coach left and took the Michigan State job. Ah, yes. And their quarterback went into the portal. Um, now, I don't know if that quarterback was the backup quarterback at Oregon State or the starter. I'm not, I, I'm not remembering. But I, I, I got a sense that there was a little bit of a departure from Oregon State right after, uh, right after their head coach uh, uh, you know, made the decision to move to Michigan State. So Oregon State, uh, although they will certainly, you know, their fan base and everybody is going to be excited to be there, it's one of the you know rare bowl opportunities for them, so they'll travel well. They're not Notre Dame, and Notre Dame in the state of Texas is huge. So even though Notre Dame had a disappointing year, I think they'll still have a pretty darn good following and support there uh, for Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is talented, uh, so I'm going to pick Notre Dame. Okay, I will just add that uh, did learn from some quick googling that Sam Hartman, Notre Dame's starting quarterback, is sitting out as well. So both teams, I oh, guess, will be without geez. there. Is that right? I didn't even know that. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Unfor- you know, we've been talking about this trend for some time on the podcast. And unfortunately, it's just kind of continued to grow as, you know, college football is becoming more semi-pro, you know, than amateur. Yes. And everyone's saving their bodies for uh, NFL draft and things of that nature. They don't view the bowl games as important enough. Here, here's what I think needs to happen, Alex. This is this is something for our, our podcast listeners to consider is, you know, I I wonder um, if uh, there's going to come a point where these players who are saving themselves for the NFL with all the NIL money that's now available and the, the comfort that exists in the in the. Uh, the cocoon that is college sports at this point with all the great facilities and all the uh, resources that are made available to you, oftentimes that are better than, than even the NFL provides um, that some of these kids aren't going to start figuring this out. And I don't know if it's going to take somebody doing a research paper where they, they research the portal and they research the real dollars and cents that get uh, provided in NIL and they begin to paint a picture uh, about, you know, this is the reality. Okay, all the you know conversation and and speculation. Forget all that. Let's get down to the brass tacks, dollars and cents, and the observations of of things. And it would it would be a fascinating research project. And you know, if I if I had some guts, I'd do it myself. <laughs> well, I recall us talking last year. I think it was with uh, Brian Clowron about you know. Um, the Bulls uh, kind of handing out some NIL money, right, to the players to kind of incentivize them to play in the bowl games. Uh, yes. That maybe be 
become a more common thing, uh, as long with you know a secondary fact that uh, we know that this bowl season the NCAA is testing out the uh, tablets using tablets to. Uh, yep. communicate plays back and forth as well as headsets for quarterbacks with the coaches and things like that things have yep. become much more relevant because of the whole science stealing scandal with michigan this year um so we'll see how that all kind of plays out yep that's uh interesting um and i i hope that those those experiments go successfully but but i'm i would just i, I wish i knew uh, how i could figure out if there were uh, somebody already doing this research or if no one is, if there's uh, somebody who would be willing to provide the funding to complete the research and, uh, and, and do that, because I think it would be incredibly insightful for all kinds of organizations, not just the sports or the players, but all of them, right? The, the universities, uh, the, the, the players, the, um, the uh, marketing institutions, the uh, uh, media companies, they would all want to know the results of that. Right. Well, there you go. Dad's putting together a research fund here, podcast listeners. Well, you can I, donate. Correct. <laughs> correct. Um, and then the Alamo Bowl is quite interesting this year. Uh, it's Arizona versus Oklahoma. Arizona, obviously, uh, currently in the Pac-12, but will be in the Big 12 next year. And then Oklahoma, of course, being the SEC next year. Um so you'd think Arizona is probably, you know, certainly happier to be there, right? They had a pretty good season by their standards. Um, and I've learned that Oklahoma, uh, not only is their um, quarterback gone, uh, but apparently uh, their entire starting offensive line will not be in this game, uh, which is leaning me to think that uh, Arizona should be able to take this one, even though I think Oklahoma is the more talented team. Well, and Oklahoma lost their offensive coordinator, if I remember correctly. Mm. Yeah, multiple multiple losses then. So yeah, 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 yeah. He he got that. I mean, he got he didn't get fired. He actually uh, took a head coaching job. I think the Mississippi State job. So um, um, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But 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 that means that they're going to be without the guy who was calling the shots, and now somebody else is going to do that. Uh, wow, the whole offensive line. That's crazy. Yeah. I, well, saw, <laughs> I saw that headline yesterday, uh, and you are correct. Uh, their former offensive coordinator, Jeff Lebby, is now at Mississippi State. Yeah, that's huge. Wow. I'm going to go opposite. I'm going to say that uh, Oklahoma's got enough talent that their offensive line, uh, who's the replacement players that are going to be in there, are going to do very well. And uh, – um, um, go from there, you know? So, all right. Well, that's crazy. I'm going to have us give a score prediction for this one, since I think it is an interesting matchup. Uh, so I'm going to say that Arizona wins, though it'll be pretty narrow. Um, but let's say it'll be, uh, 32 Arizona to 28 Oklahoma. Okay. I'm going to say that it's going to be, um, Oklahoma is going to be very unpredictable. See, they're going to have a new offensive coordinator. They're going to have a new offensive line. There's just going to be a lot of freshness to what they do. And uh, I think their defense is going to play very well. So I'm going to say that it's going to be Oklahoma 28 and then Arizona 
17. Okay. Um, and then another interesting matchup outside of the New Year's Six is uh, LSU going up against Wisconsin in the Reliquest Bowl. Now, I'm not uh, 100% sure where LSU is at in terms of uh, their players sitting out, you know, like that Jaden Daniels kid, right, who just won the Heisman. Um, but I, my impression is that they should be able to beat Wisconsin pretty solidly. This is not a great uh, Wisconsin team this year. You know, they've been had their struggles with their new first-time uh, coach, head coach. So uh, I'm thinking I'm leaning LSU on that one. I would absolutely agree. And Wisconsin, you know, like they beat us because they still had – you know, a bull at running back that they could just hand the ball off to and be confident in his ball security and his ability to just grind out first downs at the end of the game to win. And that guy has made himself available to the draft and is, is out without him. I think that's a big dent in uh, the ability for Wisconsin to be balanced. Um, so I agree with you. I think LSU wins, and I think it's going to be kind of a blowout. Uh, I, would, I would say it's going to be like 40, 42 to 21. Yeah, I think you might be right there. As I've been doing throughout this podcast, I just did a quick Google search. It says they have eight players on LSU's side sitting out of the, of the bowl game. So some various running backs and defensive players, cornerback. But looks like not the quarterback. J.D. Daniels is in. So that's definitely a, a big feather in their cap. Uh, yeah. And then uh, the Citrus Bowl has Tennessee versus Iowa, another SEC versus Big Ten matchup, uh, which, you know, as we are want to do, obviously we'll take a look at what the, the different conferences do, uh, how they perform in the various bowls. But I think this is another one that should go the SEC's way. Uh, Iowa obviously has an elite defense. Uh, but their offense is just so uh, putrid uh, that I feel like Tennessee should be able to win that one. I would agree with you. I think Tennessee wins this one as well. Yeah, we're both in agreement there. Uh, so now we're getting into uh, some of the, the big boy bowls, the New Year's Six bowls. Um, this one's quite interesting. Missouri versus Ohio State, another SEC Big Ten matchup in the Cotton Bowl. Um, Missouri is ranked ninth, while Ohio State's ranked seventh. And I would say that, you know, we, we brought up the point that in terms of sheer talent and stats and stuff, Ohio State maybe even deserved to be in the top four this year, just going off of talent alone, even though they didn't beat Michigan on the field. Um, so I'm inclined to think that, that, that they will uh, win that one uh, unless they have going once again by the whole who wants to be there more. Missouri certainly is happier to be there because they're having one of their best seasons in a long time. And Ohio State's kind of disappointed that they got left out. So that might be the deciding factor. But I think I'm still going to lean towards Ohio State. So here's the question. Is Marvin Harrison playing? <laughs> and 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 since McCord is in the portal, I'm assuming he's not playing for him. So, you know, uh, they've got uh, – Ohio State's going to have a new quarterback. and uh, And I wonder about – you know, their top wide receivers and whether or not they're going to play. Uh, because, but the thing is, Ohio State had a pretty darn good defense. They were one of the top defenses in the country. So uh, assuming that most of the defensive players are still playing in this bowl game, then uh, I'm going to go with Ohio State as well. If, uh, but I would say that with a caveat, so I got it recorded, <laughs> that if 
if I find out between now and the actual game being played that that Ohio State has a bunch of defensive players that are um, uh, not playing, as well as you know the aforementioned uh, offensive talent, um, then it's possible Missouri could could win that one. Right. Well, so I'm looking right now. They have 14 players. It does not include Marvin Harrison. Uh, but they have like a wide receiver, two running backs, a tight end, and an O lineman. Their center, two safeties, two cornerbacks, a linebacker, a defensive lineman, and their kicker. Wow, now, that's crazy. Now I don't know how many of those are starters, right? Probably some of them are in the you know not not their starters, but still, uh, yeah, it's a pretty extensive list. Well, hopefully they're not all starters because if they are, then then Ohio State might be in trouble on this one. But but uh, especially if Missouri doesn't have much in the way of guys that aren't playing. That's right. So I'm going to predict that Ohio State wins in a little bit of a lower scoring game. Uh, let's say 24 yep. to 17 over Mizzou. Yeah, that's a good that's a good score. I also think it's going to be low scoring because I think Ohio State's defense is pretty darn good. So seven, I like that seventeen score that you gave. I'm going to go ahead and just to, so it's different than yours. I'll do I'll do twenty eight seventeen with Ohio State winning. Ohio State winning. Okay, I like it. Um, and then in the Peach Bowl, we have Ole Miss versus Penn State. Um, also ranked very close together. Um, you know, Penn State had a, a pretty good season overall. Um, so I'm inclined to lean towards them as well, you know, going with my Big Ten beliefs. Uh, but once again, a lot of it comes down to what players are sitting out, right? Yes. Well, I would say that that's also very true. But um, um, Old Miss's coach, you know, um, uh, is is kind of uh, aloof or or unique, right? He's a, a savant, uh, and so I think. I I wonder he's either going to mail it in and it's not going to go well for them, or or he's going to have a zeroed in game plan and just kick ass. I'm going to go with Penn State also, you know, as I think about this. But this is one that I could see Penn State getting their asses beat too. I mean, that's that's the thing. But I'll go with Penn State because they do have a good defense at Penn State and they have a solid offense. They just don't have a great quarterback. Penn State has an average quarterback. Right. Right. Well, I will say um, that, uh, you know, Penn State uh, did fire their defensive coordinator, right, earlier this year, and they've had, you know, mm-hmm. one of their assistants step up to fill in for him, um, but they still right. filled that position with a proper replacement. Um, so that could be a factor. Okay, you've convinced me. I'm switching. I'll, <laughs> I'll go Old Miss. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Old Miss and you go Penn State. All right. Well, I'll say Penn State wins, let's say uh, – 28 to 17. Okay, if Ole Miss wins, I think it's going to be like uh, 48 to uh, 41. Okay, high scoring affair. I like it. Uh, And then this one's quite interesting. Um, We have Oregon versus Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl. Liberty is the undefeated team from the group of five, um, you know, kind of going up against one of the big boys in Oregon. Um, now I know that Oregon has uh, lost some of its players to uh, to the transfer portal uh, or sitting out. Although I believe that their quarterback is still playing, Bo Nix. Um, 
But Liberty, of course, you know, they're going to have no players sitting out. They're very happy to be there. This is their chance to kind of make a mark. So do you think with a potentially more limited Oregon team that Liberty has a chance? I'm, I'm going to still go with Oregon. Yeah, I don't blame you there. I'm going to go ahead and agree and say that Oregon wins, but I think it'll be a close game. I'm going to go ahead and say that it's relatively high scoring and that Oregon wins um, 38 to uh, 28 over Liberty. Okay. Well, I'll say uh, 38 uh, for Oregon, just like you. Uh, But um, I will say uh, Liberty only scores 17. 17 for Liberty. And what did you say Oregon would score? Uh, 38. Same as you. Yeah, I'll, I'll just go the same as you on that. That sounds like a – although, you know, let's do 42. Let's put 42 for me on that just because 38 seems like kind of an odd score. Okay, here we go. I've Just in my time of Googling here, there's a website that's put together a big opt-out list for all the bowl games. Uh, so that's helpful to uh, help keep track of where the various teams are at. There you go. Oh, well, hmm. Liberty actually does have quite a few players uh, going out in the transfer portal. And then Oregon, yeah, has some as well, including Ty Thompson, but he's obviously not their starting quarterback. Some of their wide receivers are sitting out. So, yeah, with that in mind, yeah, I think Oregon should win that one. And then... Uh, this one's quite interesting for the n- national implications of it. Uh, Georgia versus Florida State. Uh, I know for a fact that quite a few of the Florida State players are sitting out of that one because a standard transfer portal, you know, and NFL draft considerations that we've talked about for everyone else, and b obviously their extreme disappointment that they were left out of the playoff game. You know, and players who are playing injured, you know, but fighting on because they wanted to get into the into the playoff. Right now, all those players are going to be setting out and potentially even in protest, right? Because of what the college football playoff did. Uh, Now Georgia's kind of in a similar situation where some of them feel like they were gypped and that they deserve to be in the playoff as well. But I think the uh, sensation is more acute for Florida state, not to mention that they will be playing with their second team quarterback uh, because their first team guy has been hurt. Uh, So while it goes, it, it goes against the narrative that I prefer that Florida state deserved to be in the top four of the playoff. Uh, unfortunately, I think that Georgia will be able to handle them and uh, win pretty solidly. I, I would totally agree, especially, and, I, and if that's true, what you say, that some of these kids for Florida State have stepped away, uh, not in protest, but I mean, uh, because they were disappointed in the, in the decision, it, that is not the kind of culture I would want as a coach or as a fan, you know, I want a team that would be angry and want to be able to demonstrate that they deserve to be there and use that energy to propel them to victory. Uh, and if, and if a bunch of them stepped away, that's not the response I would have expected or hoped for. Um, and that, that's a bad sign for Florida state. And I already would have thought, even if they were both at full strength, that Georgia was a clear, uh, favorite to win this game just because of the circumstances. Um, but now I would say it's even more so. Um, now, Georgia doesn't have a great quarterback, so uh, I don't think it'll be like a huge, um, you know, uh, point total, but I think it'll be a solid victory for Georgia. So I'm going to say 
but if they have the chance to run it up, they probably would. <laughs> so I'm going to say it's going to be 35 to um, uh, 14. 35 to 14. Okay. I like that score. You may uh, puke when you hear this. Um, so I was just looking on that that website. I counted up 19 players sitting out for Florida State and 17 sitting out for Georgia. So both teams yeah, are really uh, shadows of their regular season selves, I would say. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised of that for Georgia. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they've got a lot of NFL caliber talent on that team. Well, that's true, but wow. Okay. Well, that might be a more competitive game. That'll be like next year's teams playing each other, right? Like this is all going to be the kids that are going to be playing next year for both of those squads. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to agree that Georgia wins. I'm going to say it'll be kind of a sloppy game on both sides based off of that assessment. Um, So let's say that it is uh, 32 for Georgia to... uh, 17 FSU. All right. And so now that leaves us with the final two, which are, of course, the two big semifinal games. Uh, Let's start off with Alabama versus Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Um, Obviously, uh, you know, Alabama's the one that kind of snuck in here. And you mentioned on the previous podcast how Alabama's kind of a bad matchup for Michigan. I saw someone making the point that when Nick Saban has lost in these recent years, it's usually been to a good passing team. He rarely gets beat by a team that's running the ball. And that's obviously Michigan's uh, real strength. Uh, But on the other hand, I want Michigan to win, even though they're the sign stealers and everything this year. My hatred for Alabama is greater. And the fact that they snuck in there at the last minute in this corrupt kind of bargain. So I want Michigan to win so bad that I got to choose them as my favorite. (laughs) I love it. Well, the, the other thing that's key to note is, you know, Michigan, lost their best lineman right who was their emotional and spiritual you know leader and i think a captain uh and i don't think he's gonna make it back right like even though there's a month i don't i think he needed to have season ending surgery so so he's done uh and he was gonna be going to the nfl anyway so uh i don't think he'd risk it so um that's big in my mind and i agree with you on the history of of um uh, Nick Saban and Alabama and the, their, their familiarity with preparing for this. But again, I keep focusing on, you know, the team that, uh, from Alabama that should have lost to Auburn. That's the thing I can't get over, right? <laughs> that, that that's a loss. That's a loss that Alabama should have sustained. But other than that game, you know, all the other say last five of Alabama season, Alabama looked to be getting better and better and better. And their quarterback looked to be getting better and better and better. Now they have a whole month to prepare and get better and better and better. Then on the other side of the coin, this is at the Rose Bowl. Yep. You take take Alabama out of the South, and their record isn't so good. They do really well in bowl games, you know, like the, the Sugar Bowl and the Orange Bowl and maybe even the Bulls in Texas, you know, when they had the game at uh, the Jerry Dome. But um, you get him, you get them, you know, out West like that. And that's a, that's a less comfortable environment for them. Right. So that makes it an in- intriguing matchup. Right. And Michigan certainly is used to traveling out West for the Rose Bowl. I, I want 
I want Michigan to win. I do. That's where, even though I'm, yeah, frustrated with the whole sign stealing thing and the way that that university's arrogance was displayed through that whole process and their fans' reaction to it. But I'm going to go with Alabama just to be contrarian to you. And because as much as I hate Nick Satan, um, <laughs> he's a brilliant coach. And when you give him a month to prepare and a chance to win a championship, I think he and his staff will be driven to the utmost and they will perform very well in this game. The best Alabama, you know, can be, will be what was on display. Um, so I, I think it's going to be enough and Alabama wins. Okay. As much as that pisses me off. <laughs> well, so I'm going to go ahead and say that Michigan keeps it relatively lower scoring. Cause I think their defense will have to step up to keep Alabama in check. Um, so I'm going to say it ends up being 31 Michigan to uh 24 alabama and i will take the opposite but with alabama winning okay same same score but alabama being the victor i'm curious from your conversations with your buddy brian who is of course a big michigan fan is he feeling good about michigan's odds or is he worried oh he's always worried he always (laughs) builds him absolutely you know alabama is the greatest team of all time at this point um in his mind but he obviously very much wants and believes that uh, Michigan will win this football game. But he also acknowledges that um, uh, Alabama is is probably the toughest matchup that they could have gotten. Right? Like he felt he would have felt better with matching up with either of the other teams. Um, right. So so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But. Uh, but he would certainly pick Michigan to win that Alabama game. He, he thinks it'll be tough, but that Michigan will win. Right. Well, and I, I'm thinking back to our conversation with Brian from last year, where, of course, they lost to TCU. Uh, and he talked right. about, you know, Jim Harbaugh carrying on the Bo Schembechler tradition of losing in the postseason. <laughs> uh, and you'll recall that in that game, they kind of went away from their bread and butter of running it and tried to throw it a lot, you know, and kind of made some kind of unconventional coaching decisions. Uh, my hope would be that they've learned from that mistake last year and that they will uh, stick closer to what's been succeeding for them in the regular season when they go up against Alabama. Right, right. I would agree. Okay. I would agree. And then we have uh, Texas versus Washington in the Sugar Bowl. And I think this one is quite competitive and quite interesting. Um, you know, Texas looked very good in their win in the Big 12 championship. They looked the most dominant of any of the champions in terms of the, the general matchup. Uh, but yeah. on the other hand, Washington overcame a very difficult uh, Pac-12 schedule this year, including beating Oregon twice and managed to remain undefeated, while Texas does have their one loss to Oklahoma. Um, and also, uh, you know, the, the nadir, of course, for us as Nebraska fans would be an Alabama versus Texas national championship where we don't want either team to win. Um, so I'm going to go with my heart here and say that Washington, who has you know kind of been a scrappy team and managed to win in tough situations, even if it's close throughout this whole season, I think they're going to find a way to do that again. And their great quarterback will have another uh, terrific game and they will manage to beat Texas. What bowl game? Sugar Bowl. It's going to be in the Sugar Bowl. Wow. So here's where here's where the fan following has an impact. That stadium is going to be three quarters. It's good, might as well be a home game for Texas, right? So 
you're you're picking Washington. I'm going to pick Texas. I hate Texas. You know this. <laughs> yes. But but I mean, it's it's huge that they get to do this at the Sugar Bowl. You know, uh, where they have played a number of times. It's a it's a day's drive from Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston. Uh, so I think you're going to get a massive number of Longhorn fans there. And so if things start to go well for 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 uh, Texas, then they will ride that train all the way to victory. You know what I mean? Uh, where I think Washington, although they have a good following, they are a Pac-12 school still, and their following doesn't tend to be as rabid as Texas's would be. So uh, as far as the, the teams on the field, I kind of agree with you. I think Washington's the better team. <laughs> okay, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go with you on this one and I'm going to pick Washington to win as well even in the teeth of a huge uh, you know home home court advantage so to speak for Texas. All right. Well, I'm going to say Washington wins uh 42 to 35. Okay. I'm going to say uh Washington's going to win and it's going to be 52 to 48 even more high scoring very cool all right so based off that i'm predicting a washington versus michigan uh national championship game and you're predicting washington versus alabama uh so we'll see how it plays out you know obviously we've made our position very clear on the previous podcast that florida state should have been in this uh playoff discussion uh so we're hoping it plays out a certain way you know i think a michigan if it was michigan washington you know, I'd be rooting for Washington because, uh, you know, uh, Michigan has the whole sign stealing thing over their heads this year and everything like that. Um, but I could be satisfied with either team winning, whereas Alabama versus Texas would be much more challenging for me to stomach either way. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right about that. I get it. So we'll see how things play out. You know, um, like I said, uh, we'll be doing another podcast after all these uh, bowl games are done in the semifinals, so we'll be able to talk about the results, you know, what the national championship game is going to be, plus what resulted from Nebraska's uh, recruiting and our quarterback transfer battle and that kind of stuff, plus Nebraska volleyball and their situation. So there's a lot that we'll be able to talk about next time. There you go. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can reach out to us at huskerpeat 13 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you search for College Football Throwdown. You can leave us a rating or review there. We always love hearing from the fans. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me for this episode. Until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.